We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. My name is Kaleo and I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 10 13 11. This is not my first sobriety date. I pursued sobriety through Alcoholics Anonymous 27 years ago when my first son came into this world and I recognized that there was something in the world that was more important than me and I needed to put him first and I felt that putting him first meant to surrender to this this disease. Um, Unfortunately, I got with some people in the program that felt that uh, it was okay to partake of um, weed. So didn't make it very long, my first go around, and then 10 years later I came back and tried again. Um, That happened to also coincide with my second son. Um, Again, uh, weed, marijuana was also still a part of my life, and I wasn't able to let go of that, so I got maybe nine months that time. And um, since then, I've I had a complete surrender. And what happened for me was um, I was given the gift of desperation. I had the moment where I said the alcoholic's prayer, God help me. And I meant it with every fiber of my being. And it felt as if a large bathtub of warm water was poured over me. I felt it from my head to my feet. And I had the spiritual experience that we hear about. Um, It just so happened at that moment, I had just crashed my wife's convertible into a parked car about two blocks from my house. Um, I was in a blackout and apparently had driven quite a long ways without the two front tires on the vehicle. And sparks were flying and it was there's still to this day marks along the freeway and the off-ramp and up the hill to our neighborhood where I was driving this vehicle on its rims. Um and had come to just before slamming into a car. That was my spiritual awakening. That was the gift of desperation that made me cry out to God. Um, That simple little prayer. Um, Speaking of prayers, I have a prayer that I... Well, I've also been praying before this opportunity, and um, I want to thank you, Tara, for asking me to share my experience, strength, and hope. And it is the set-aside prayer that some of you are familiar with. God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, my disease, the 12 steps, and especially you. So I may have an open mind and a new experience of all these things. Please let me see the truth. I've also been praying... Um, that God will use me as a conduit to share his message or the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And whenever I pray that prayer, I also pray that I might be open to hear his message because currently, to this point in my life, he has not written on a stone tablet or on the wall any messages to me. So where he speaks to me is from you. And when he sees fit, he'll speak to others through me. Um, there's a Native American saying I heard from someone that did a share, and he called it the hollow bone. Let me be a hollow bone. And that was their way of describing a conduit. So that's been my prayer since the time that you asked me to um, share my experience, strength, and hope. And it's a regular prayer of mine, especially at a meeting, before a meeting, I pray that God will open my ears, and if it's his will, my mouth, to to give and take um, 
this message of hope. I was recently at a meeting where hope was the topic and, you know, I was very hopeless. I think to put it into one word, I was hopeless. I couldn't stop drinking or using or thinking about drinking or using. And I was filling this void I felt in my spirit with people, places, and things, mostly with things like drugs and alcohol. And I've come to learn that that void in my soul, this hole is a God-shaped hole. And no matter how many other things I put in there, it never is enough. And when I have, when I welcome God into my my heart, when I give him my will in my life every day, he fills that void. I'm full. And, um, and I'm full of hope. Something I was in desperate need of and didn't even know. So I didn't even know that I was in desperate need of a power greater than myself that could fill me and give me purpose. My purpose used to be me. Selfish and self-centered, full of vanity. What do you have that I can take? And now my purpose is, what can I give? I'm a giver now instead of a taker. And I've been taking for many years, so I've got some giving to catch up on. And the, the joy, the peace, the serenity in giving far outweighs anything that this world has to offer. And I'm just full of gratitude to have a purpose in my life um, that does fill me with hope. It's amazing that giving, actually, I receive when I give. Um, And this whole program seems to me to be about giving. You know, once, once I got a sponsor and got through the 12 Steps, I was able to start moving into the space of service and being a giver and reaping the rewards and benefits of, of, of serving others. Um, it's, it's been a, an amazing journey. So to share a little bit about my experience to give more light on that statement of this journey, um, I came from very dark times and places. Um, You know, that saying in the book about incomprehensible demoralization, I feel I know what that is. Um, So, I grew up in a home with loving parents and was, went to private Christian schools and went to church every Sabbath, yet I didn't have an experience. I knew of God, but I didn't know God. It took Alcoholics Anonymous for me to know God, and I'm learning more about him and his character and the man that he wants me to be. But before then, knowledge alone did not prevail in my life. I knew there was a God, but I didn't feel like I had a relationship with him. So... As I previously mentioned, I pursued people, places, and things to make me feel good. And that took me to many, many dark places. Um, Even with everything that a young boy would need as far as loving parents and a safe and happy home and school experience, there were... You know, I have no excuse. I've heard stories where people have had awful lives and wanted to escape the feelings and the tragedies that were going on around and and in their lives, yet I had none of that, but I still had the disease, the disease of more, and I wanted more and more and more. Um, I think I had my first drink when I was maybe a freshman in high school. And it was uh, off to the races. And I think my first drink was some 151. Um, And it's just all downhill from there. I needed more and more and more. And so throughout high school, experimenting with 
all sorts of different substances, um, creating wreckage, creating pain in my family's life, all the while feeling like I'm just trying to have fun. Can't you just get off my back? I'm not hurting anyone. Well, now I recognize I was hurting my parents, hurting myself, obviously, but hurting my parents, hurting those around me that may have, I may have influence to pursue some of these partying, you know, uh, behaviors, my, my siblings. Um, so in hindsight, I can see at the time I couldn't see that I was causing anyone pain. Maybe my mom and dad, they were sad, but that was not enough. I had to go through what I did to get to where I'm at today. And I wouldn't change anything. Um, so more detail, I think, is I find it interesting to hear people's stories. Um, when I graduated from high school, I um, had the opportunity to travel to um, Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. And some background on that opportunity. I was living in the state of Washington, roofing with um, some with a roofing company up there and living in a barn that had been turned into a home. Uh, my, bu- my buddy and I were living there on his parents' property. Well, we didn't have electricity in there, so we used candles. Long story short, the place burned down. They had insurance on it, and all our things were covered under the insurance. So I took my money, and I hit the trail. Um, I was raised in Hawaii, so I was surfing before I could barely walk. I wanted to go on a surf trip, so I bought a Circle Pacific ticket and went to Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji with a backpack and a surfboard, um, a box of ramen from Costco, and a big thing of beef jerky, and proceeded, I think I was 19 years old, to travel abroad and um, still drinking and using, um, spent most of most of the time in Australia. Um, tried to fake a marriage to someone there to have dual citizenship. Um, they took a, this gal and I into separate rooms and started asking us questions, and we didn't know enough about each other. They called us on our little trick. And so they asked me not to return to Australia for four years. I was kicked out of a country, um, but I stayed anyway. Um, overstayed my visa. Um, had many adventures, so to speak, but really was it was alcohol-fueled, um, poor decisions, um, one of which was I lived in this little town called Crescent Head that had a great surf break. Uh, I worked in the kitchen and wound up moving in with a couple of the waitresses there and really got to in, be integrated into this little town, and, and the locals took me in. And we would drink every night. That was just what everybody did. And there weren't any severe consequences that I can remember. Um, just surfed a lot. And, and there was also, you know, weed there too. Not very good quality. But anyway. Um, and so after this this fake wedding thing, I decided I needed to move down to Sydney. So... A friend of mine in that town hatched up the plan to to rob a local weed grower. So in the wee hours of the morning, we proceeded to go and and rob a bunch of plants. Um, that was crazy. There was dogs there. I almost got attacked. Um, anyway, took my share of the weed, went to Sydney, got a room in a youth hostel, and um, sold that weed to pay for my food and boarding there in Sydney, Australia. Um, all the while drinking and obviously partaking of my own product. Um, eventually, I wound up um, not having any money and became homeless in Australia. And I just thought this is an adventure. I'm adventuring. I'm not really homeless. Um, there was a Krishna temp- temp- temple there, and 
they would give their leftovers to the homeless. And so I was being fed wonderful Krishna vegetarian food every night, um, surfing all day, um, enjoying the fact that uh, Australia is, uh, it's, they're topless. It's a topless thing. And it was like, being from this country, uh, I was very, uh, what's the word? I was awestruck. And uh, I knew I needed to stay in that country when I first went to the beach. Anyway, um, um, that's probably enough of the Australia adventure. I did wind up meeting someone. Well, this is alcohol-related. I I wound up uh, making a friend with a woman that ran a club in the King's Cross, which is a very happening area of Sydney, well, she ran this club called the Osrock, and it was a four-story nightclub. And so, through our this relationship, I um, had open bar. I had didn't have to pay cover to get into the place. I had as much as I could drink. She wound up moving me into her little mansion, um, and you know, someone and you know, leaning on someone else to provide me my medicine. Um, and, and that ended and I went to Fiji and New Zealand, um, continuing to, to drink and use and not thinking twice about it. Um, that brought me back to Hawaii, um, where I continued to, um, create a, a wake of destruction in behind me and, uh, just being oblivious, completely oblivious, just full of self and more for me and, and, um, and vanity and, um, trying to fill this void with people, places, and things continually and, and not ever, ever having enough. Um, I had a lot of experiences in Hawaii in the entertainment industry, um, uh, meeting celebrities. And at one point, moved back to California and um, pursued entertainment industry and went to New York City and lived in New York City for almost a year, pursuing a modeling career where there was more open bars, more celebrities and, and wealth. You know, I heard this term recently, the unholy trinity, money, sex, and power. That's where I was going to be fed, I felt, that was the measure of the man I believed I needed to be. So sought that out and got into all kinds of trouble in, in Manhattan and lived in a little condominium. So a talent agency in California sent a number of winners from some type of a contest out to New York and put us up in a condominium, unfurnished, upstate from Manhattan. And it was like MTV's real world before that show even started. There was a bunch of California models just thrown into this empty condo in upstate New York. So we did a lot of drinking and using drugs. And um, the story, you know, continues. I, I, I wonder why I didn't have extreme success. One thing that happened in New York City that was good for me was some right sizing. Um, when I would go to cold calls in the city and see other, um, models and entertainers, I recognized that I was a very small fish in a very big pond. It, it reminds me of being a banana in the bunch as we hear in the rooms. I had this false sense of self, you know, and and I was able to recognize, hey, wow, I'm look at this guy, you know, some big six foot six, perfectly built, handsome man out on the street. And he had really long hair and I had long hair. And I pulled I said, Hey, how are you getting work? You know, and he wasn't getting work and it helped me to realize, wow, um, you know what, I might have to cut my hair and I had very, very long hair. Long hair was completely out back in that time. And I'm really going down the rabbit hole here. I want to, uh, uh, I'm going too far off the, the range here. 
bottom line is um, I could have had much more success in all of my life in all these different experiences had I been sober I would have remembered more of the experiences you know on my Circle Pacific ticket or in in New York City um, you know I work with a lot of young men and, and I see in them the potential and recognize that I had squandered so much by not surrendering and being just caught up in, in the disease of me. Um, and, you know, New York was a definite example of, of squandered opportunity. Um, I also had squandered opportunity in school. I, very high IQ, had the opportunity to go to any college I wanted to abroad, decided I didn't want to do that, didn't apply myself in school because I was applying myself to smoking weed and drinking, chasing girls. Um, Anyway, fast forward through that, um, you know, continued to pursue entertainment a little bit, um, had some modicum of success, but never really took off. I wouldn't cut my hair in New York City. I got very little work in New York City with long hair um, and moved back to California where I did eventually get my hair cut and move into more of the um, business world um, in the insurance industry and um, pursued that while um, and I found that that worked with my disease. I was in sales and marketing and client services so part of my job was lunching, happy hours, dinners, concerts, professional uh, sports games, and alcohol was right there the whole time. It was part of my job to drink. I needed to drink with the clients during lunch so that they would feel comfortable to have a few more themselves. And most of the conferences involved alcohol. Um, so it seemed like a good fit. Hey, I get to, I'm getting paid to drink now. Um, that wound up getting me a couple of DUIs. I think I had five or six DUIs in, over the course of my, um, my life. They seem to have been spread far enough apart where the consequences have been fairly, uh, light. Um, and while I'm talking about DUIs, when I, I got a DUI that, that, evening that I crashed my car in Hawaii or my wife's car in Hawaii, my ex-wife's car. Better make that clear. Yeah. Um, I got a DUI that night, um, but I knew some of the officers or I knew some, some guys in the department. And so I got myself released very early, earlier than I should be. And I tried to drink and drive again that very same day. Um, but fortunately, um, just a few days after that uh, experience, I was I went back to AA um, and got a sponsor and started working the steps. And he had to remind me. Um, he asked me, "So how, how many days do you have?" "Oh, I've got three. Um, are you still smoking weed?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, you don't have three days. You've got no days." So put down the joint and haven't picked one up, you know, since in eight plus years or a drink or anything else that affects me from the neck up. Um, started to go into meetings and getting my court card signed. Long story short, I had pages and pages. I did hundred and some odd meetings in 90 days. Um, so by the time I finally stood in front of the judge and presented him with that, um, that evidence, um, he was leaning on me. Also, the fact that the arresting officer never showed up three times in a row. That's God. Why would he not? Maybe he moved away. I have no idea. I never got that final DUI. God gifted me that. Um, So that allowed me to continue to work. Um, I also should mention I was working at a bar um, when I got that DUI. And that was a great job because I got to... I felt like I was being paid to drink. We had to sneak them, 
but had a little water bottle, you know, a little clear, not clear, a little drink thing that I would fill with my favorite concoction and just drink all night. Um, the night I got that DUI, they had me in this bar where I was by myself. Um, so that's where I had the blackout. Um, so once I got clean and, and did those hundred some odd meetings in 90 days, it helped really set a pretty firm foundation for me getting through the 12 steps and I found it very interesting. My, I picked a sponsor, sponsor that was younger than me. I thought that was unusual. But I found that he had something that I wanted. He had a peace and a, a happiness about him that I wanted. Um, He's also a surfer, um, semi-pro surfer. And what was really cool about what he did was he, you know, I wanted to hang out you know, with him and surf and do all this stuff. He would swim and play tennis and run. And I was, you know, I like to be physically active and I wanted to run with those boys. But until I finished my 12 steps with him, he would not invite me to go surf with him. And that helped me to find a way to be with my sponsees, to have some boundaries around, um, you know, some of the things that I do now with some of my brothers, there's, there needs to be, the 12 steps need to be completed before you were hanging out. Um, that was really helpful for me. Um, and it was a form of tough love, but once I completed my steps and I got to hang with him, um, and surf and do all these, you know, wonderful things, um, I felt that I, you know, in a sense had earned that. By doing my 12 steps, I had graduated to this, you know, this new level of fellowship. Not that fellowship can't exist without someone completing the steps. I don't believe that, but very interesting way that he he did. And, I, and I've taken that on, and I, I always call him on my birthday um, and, and thank him for, you know, what he did for me. Um, after getting through the 12 steps with him, um, my ex-wife moved some point in, in there. She moved away from Hawaii back to where she's from and, um, took my youngest son with her and, um, I, I needed to follow. Um, as much as I love Hawaii and the ocean, um, and I'm part Hawaiian, so that's, that's my home. I, it was a no brainer. Do I want to leave home or be with my son? And so I moved back to Northern California and my family got around me and encouraged me to, uh, go to a rehab. And I struggled with that. You know, I, here I had 90 days or so, you know, I thought I, I had this very dangerous, you know, thinking I had this, I, I found a sponsor here, um, who is still my sponsor to this day. Um, but through a lot of prayer and, and guidance, um, I made the decision to go to a rehab. And, you know, my mom was sourcing around. She wanted me to be close by. You know, why don't we, you know, send him there? So they, you know, the family got together and trying to identify a good rehab for me. And my brother was the one that, and his wife, you know, uh, it was, he was the one that said, you know, Mom, would you, if he had to have brain surgery, would you just send him to some place close by or would you send him to a center of excellence? Would you get him the best care that was available? And so they did a lot of research and found a place in Mississippi um, that has a 90-day program. And I went there, not kicking and screaming, but, you know, I kept hearing people say, you know, you're, you're going to be buying a $30,000 big book. Um, it is it is a twelve step or twelve step based program, but that was one of the things you know that I struggled with, and so a little reluctant to go. But by the time um, it was time to leave, I didn't want to leave. If I could have that, if I could do another ninety days, I would do it in a heartbeat. I mean, to be able to be 
it was just for me very beneficial um there were so many resources there and i was so unplugged from you know life as i knew it and it just really oh gave me an opportunity to just dive deep um and yeah it's it uh it was an amazing program just uh, i couldn't recommend that more strongly to anyone if they have the opportunity to just take a time out and and really get into the steps and into recovery um and i believe that's i i know that it's a part of my foundation having that 90 days to just stop everything and focus on healing and learning really continues to show uh, uh benefits in my life and in my program. Um, coming back from that, I just jumped right into the middle of this. You know, I have a, I picked a sponsor that I knew would call me on my BS. Um, I went to a very large meeting here um, where halfway through the meeting, they take a break and anyone that's identified themselves as a newcomer people get around that person and introduce themselves to that person. So at this particular meeting, my first time, I identified myself as a new person and I was surrounded by men. And eventually they kind of formed a line and taking turns to introduce themselves to me and I was very overwhelmed. I kind of cocked my head to the side and looked down the row and here's this line of men waiting to introduce themselves, give me their number, welcome me. Um, So I was sort of in a you know, I was sort of in shock. Well, a particular gentleman, uh, when he introduced himself, he got, um, kind of got in my space, you know, and culturally we have space of comfort, you know, other cultures, they get up real close where, well, this guy got up real close and it sort of snapped me out of this shock I was in because it was more shocking that this man is in my grill just right up in my face. So it made me listen to him. Um, and through prayer and, and, and looking around at other men, I eventually chose him to be my sponsor, and he has been ever since. And I can never... He, God put that man in my life because he knew I needed someone that was going to be a bit of a hard ass. Because um, I need that. I'm a, I'm a manipulator. And... Um, you know, a people pleaser. And so that was key, you know, and I guess I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a sponsor. I want to remember that, you know, if someone new is listening, that was crucial, essential to me having any sobriety at all was having a sponsor. Um, and he uses a term as well, uh, uh, a reasonability sieve. You know, I get all these ideas um, and I need someone to pass these ideas by that I trust. Um, And since then, I've grown that reasonability sieve. I have a fellowship. I have a brotherhood around me of men that I trust, that I can be open with and share ideas and get good, sound, spiritual feedback from. Um... In the vein of brotherhood, I have real brothers where I never had relationships with men. Throughout my life, men were my competition. I was always trying to measure up. I'm either better than or less than. I could either choke that guy out or he could beat me to a pulp. That guy either has more money than me or maybe I'm nicer um, you know, this constant tail chasing of being less than or greater than has been removed where I don't measure guys up anymore. I seek to see how I can be of service. I have brothers that would do anything for me. Uh, a tight, tight band of brothers, which is part of our fellowship, part of the three legacies of um, recovery, unity, and service. I think that's it. Um, 
So they're the unity piece of this. And I've also been able to discover that or learn a new way of looking at women. Women used to just be something that I would conquer. Um, and now I look at women as sisters, as beings, where we're all beings. We're all connected. My belief is that it's firmly rooted in that, that well, I have one creator who created us all. We're all his children. And so how would I treat myself? How would I treat a sister? Um, so the program has offered me so much more than just the, 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 the freedom from um, the obsession to drink and use. It has offered me a chance to grow in so many er- other areas of my life where I wasn't even looking at things like that of relationships with others, um, how I viewed women, how I viewed men, um, how I interacted in the world, um, having a purpose, you know, that's God's purpose that I never imagined that I would be given that gift of learning more about myself, being comfortable in my own skin, loving who I am. I just wanted to stop drinking and look at what has been given to me so much more. I had no idea the blessings that I would receive from just trusting in this program, um, letting go of what I think I know, um, letting go of fear of what I don't know. And, um, it's just what an incredible journey to be from where I came to where I'm at is polar opposites. I mean, being homeless, um, my teeth were falling out. I was just, I was desperate, um, degraded individual, um, completely bereft of hope and, and, even love for myself uh, and to think that where I sit at this moment in front of this microphone um, is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that God has brought me back from the depths to the light. And it's my joy and my duty, my due diligence to perpetuate that. Why was I, why was I given this gift to share it? Why am I blessed to be a blessing? Um, it's just the natural flow of life, I believe. I feel like I'm going with the flow of life. Um, where I was before drowning and or swimming against the current. Um, one of the analogies I use in meetings a lot in regards to this idea is in a riptide a lot of people die in the ocean because of the riptide because they try to swim against the current of the ocean. If you just relax and let the riptide take you, it takes you out and then lets you come back in. Um, Very similar to a river. Why would I struggle and fight and try to swim upstream when I could just roll over on my back, float down the river and enjoy the view? Another saying that I like is let go or be dragged, (laughs) you know, like holding on to the bumper of a car, let go or be dragged. Um, uh, There's so many wonderful things I have yet to learn. Um, So many more people I believe God has for me to, to touch, to, to, to influence and to be influenced by. We were, discussing before this podcast in regards to how I believe God speaks to me. And I know that he speaks to me through you. And I know that if I'm aligned with his will and it is his will, he will speak to others through me. And um, what what an amazing opportunity or realization that I can be a you know, a, a voice piece for God, that he has a message uh, for me and for me to give. And um, 
I don't think there's a higher purpose in life than to be of service to others. And it's, it's the greatest high I've ever experienced. I get so high on AA. I love the effects that Alcoholics Anonymous has on my life today. Where it used to be, I was seeking the effects of drugs and alcohol on my life. I mean, and I'm like a junkie. I can't get enough. I've, I've had to learn that to say no because I've, I've been given a lot of opportunities to be of service. And, and, and as a junkie, I've taken on too much at some time. So I'm learning balance in my life, even in the area of, of being of service. And I've also learned something very interesting as well in regards to my ego and vanity. At one point when I was uh, early on in service and, and doing a lot of what I felt was good, I was also shouting it from the mountaintop. Why? I wanted a pat on the back. My ego, that sinister, sneaky ego, was even finding a way to work its way into what was what I was doing that was good. And boy, I nipped that in the bud right away. And it was my sponsor. Hey, he pulled me aside. You're doing a lot of great things. Why are you telling people about it? And I had to honestly look at what was my motivation for sharing so often about all these wonderful things I do for my church and the community and for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was able to nip that in the bud. Um, But I feel compelled to share that because I did not see that coming. That came at me from an angle, from a blind spot. Um, And wonderful that even... uh, I can't even believe that that I would be able to think something like that through. You know, that God has given me the ability to have some open-mindedness, some willingness, willingness to learn. I am learning and want to learn. I do not know it all. The moment I think I know it, the moment I think I got it, I'm in a world of hurt because that's my ego coming back strong. And it's a daily thing, like we hear in the literature. I have a daily reprieve contingent upon my spiritual maintenance. That means every day. And just like I have to shave, if I don't shave, it's like my ego. You know, I shave in the morning, I go to bed, I wake up, bam, it's back. Sometimes like Grizzly Adams, like, what happened? My ego is back with a ferocity of this big beard I need to shave again. Every day, I cannot stay sober today on yesterday's efforts. And I need little things like that to keep me, um, I have a simple mind and, and like routine and regularity. So one of the things that I do on a regular basis, and I learned this from uh, um, the self-proclaimed president of Alcoholics Anonymous, and there is no president, by the way, I'm not going to break his anonymity, but he knows who he is. Um, I can just say his first name. It's Don. Anyway, Don shared with me that every morning he slides out of bed onto his knees and he recites out loud the third and seventh step prayers. Um, And actually, I do that every morning and actually had the opportunity today to uh, pray for our congregation at church and shared with them the prayers that we share, uh, that we do in our meetings. Um, the serenity prayer and the Lord's prayer. And then I third through the third and seventh step prayers in there, um, just to share with the church, you know, that there is, there's a lot of prayer going on in Alcoholics Anonymous. This particular church has also uh, agreed to allow us to have a AA meeting there at uh, on the campus once a week. Um, so just another great opportunity that, that God has, has put at my feet to, to perpetuate. And, um, I'll, back to some of the things I do on a regular basis. I also want to share a web page with you that I use on a daily basis and it's called recoverydaily.com. And what I'm able to do is, or what I was able to do is just save that web page to my home screen on my phone and tablet, and it has 
a lot of our daily readings. Um, that way I don't have to carry a big stack of books around with me and I travel quite a bit. So wherever I go, I have my daily readings um, right there on my phone or tablet. And so after my prayers in the morning, I make a cup of joe, sit on my reading chair, and I read through these um, our daily readings um, on recoverydaily.com. Um, have some some guided meditation and some more prayer, and that's my spiritual maintenance startup. You know, I want to get a good I want to get a good shot out the uh, off the gun, um, and then I have to pray throughout the day. Um, oftentimes, before like a meeting per se, or before I know I'm going to be speaking to someone. You know, saying little prayers, recognizing when I feel agitated, um, even restless or discontent. Uh, just a prayer of, of relief, a prayer to reconnect. Um, it's just, it's a, what an invaluable, um, undepletable resource of power. It's like, and it's like power. It's like a outlet on a wall. The power's there, and if I plug in, all the tools I have run. You know, what I need is available to me, but I have to ask for it. Um, I'm just so full of gratitude. That's another thing I've I've learned to um, really enjoy and embrace is gratitude. Um, and I've learned that there's, gratitude is also, also an action word. So I'm learning how to to show gratitude, to act with gratitude, to interface with people and with this world with an attitude of gratitude. Um, you know, whenever I'm down or, you know, it, gratitude just brings me right back. Whenever it's poor me, poor me, I just take a couple of minutes and look at all the things I have to be grateful for and it goes away. Um, the other thing when I'm stuck in my head is being of service. When I think I have problems and I get wound up with anxiety or fear, um, the quickest fix for me is to reach out to someone else and be of service to someone else, and all of a sudden my problems are gone. It's amazing, um, you know. And this, the, the problems and the fear, the anxiety, those I turn over. Uh, I'm either going to be coming from a place of love or fear, and I get to choose that. Fear, fear seeps in. And I dismiss it. I ask God to remove it. Um, one of my favorite prayers that I pray a lot is create a clean heart in me and renew a, a right spirit. Um, that's from another big book, a different, I call it the big, big book. Um, but it's amazing how many parallels there are. Um, I don't want to go down that path. You know, sobriety has been so good to me. Alcoholics Anonymous has literally changed my life. It has completely made me into a absolutely different man. I am on such a different path and am so full of gratitude uh, for what the program has done for me. And, and my job is to, is to spread it, to spread the message, to work with sponsees, to show love and tolerance to everyone that I can. Um, that reminds me of another saying I've heard is to expect nothing, forgive everything, and love the life I live. That's a, those are, that's a pretty high bar, but it's these little sayings that help keep me, you know, focused on, on my goal. Um, and ultimately it would be to expect nothing, to forgive everything, and love the life I live. Um... You know, I could go on and on with all these wonderful quips I've heard. I even brought my big book that has a bunch of them written in the back. Um, I think I might read a couple of them. Try not to make too much noise on the microphone here as I fumble around. Um, it's these things that we hear in the rooms that, you know, make such a difference in my life. And talking about the rooms, you know, getting a sponsor, getting a big book, working the steps and and going to meetings that unity uh portion of the triangle 
um, has brought me wonderful relationships. All the brotherhood I'm talking about, I met these men in meetings. The wonderful relationships I have with women um, and the fellowship with people have come from the rooms. It's not for me just working with my sponsor and reading the book. Um, I, I know that it's an essential part. This is a WE program, so I get to meet the WEs in the rooms. Um, there's a forgive everything statement. Um, here's a good one. I cannot control the wind, but I can adjust my sail. Some of these other ones are corny. I'm not going to read them. Um, but for anyone new, and I think it's okay to go over this. Uh, it's a very simple program. If it was difficult, I wouldn't have made it. I just had to follow a few suggestions um, and be willing to to follow suggestions and stop swimming upstream, stop fighting the riptide, the rip current, and go with the flow. Uh, and I was able to do that because I saw the happiness and the joy in people's faces in the rooms. I I recognized that they had done it. I saw people that had very similar or even more tragic, harrowing stories than I had, yet here they were, clean and sober, happy, joyous, and free. Um, and because I was given the gift of desperation, I I was all out of... I had nowhere else to go. So... If you're new, just try it. You know, um, you have nothing to lose. I had nothing when I came in. really don't have anything to lose. If it doesn't work for you, at least you've had all that time and money that you saved drinking and using. Um, and it's uh, it sure has worked for me. I've seen it work for, for thousands of others. Um, so join us if you... If you want, uh, as we trudge this happy road of destiny, to quote some more AA um, literature to you. And I hope that I have said something that's helped someone else. And I feel like um, this, has been, this has been a good experience for me. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.